an interesting, you know, environment, but uh, the seasons are progressing, aren't they? And we are in a season of the fall, and the season of fall feasts. Amen? That's Leviticus 23, 23, uh, excuse me, 33 to 36. And again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, On the 15th of this seventh month is the Feast of Booths, for seven days of the Lord, seven days to the Lord. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborer's work of any kind. For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall do no laborer's work. I know that the last couple of weeks we've been talking about the, the feasts, and I seem like every year I kind of talk a lot about the Feast of Trumpets, which I did a couple of weeks ago. And, but I, you know, last week I did a feast, uh, talked about the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And uh, I've never really talked about that feast before last time, or that event, except for last week. And this week, I've never talked about, since I've been here, the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, we kind of uh, don't really pay a lot of attention to the feasts because it's Old Testament. But I've told people many times, you can't understand the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament. Because a lot of things that, that Jesus talked about and that equates in the time frame that we live in are related to the Old Testament. And every feast, or the first four feasts, there's seven main feasts that, that we have. There's other things that go on. But there's seven main feasts, and four of them have been fulfilled, literally. People say, oh, that ain't going to happen. Well, God fulfilled the first four feasts, literally. And so the last three, he, I believe he's going to fulfill literally because it, that's why he's there and he's reminded the people. And every time he has these feasts, it reminds the people of something. Well, we're kind of looking back to, to a certain degree of what happened in the Old Testament. And then we kind of, I said, the Old Testament, they kind of look forward to Christ and coming and dying for our sin. And we as believers today, we look back to the cross where Jesus died for our sin. So we're kind of all looking and we're remembering that the cross represents Christ dying for our sins, and it represents our salvation. Well, they had different feasts that reminded them of, to do certain things. And on Friday at 9 a.m. in Kanab, and, or at Saturday at 6 p.m. in Israel, because that's the same time frame. We've got to remember there's a difference in time frames, time zones. We know that here because if you live in Kanab, Fredonia, you know when the time changes, we wonder, well, what time are we in? You know, kind of messes you up, doesn't it? I hate the time change, and, and the, every year they're talking about doing away with it, and I hope they do. That'd be so nice, because I hate it, because it's so confusing to us. So we understand that. I, I was talking to Randy this last week. I says, you know, there's a lot of people think that they have to worship on Saturday because that was the Sabbath. Well, the Sabbath in Israel is Friday here. So technically they're doing it wrong, aren't they? <laughs> So we kind of met and look at those things. Well, I got to do it that day. Well, if you're going to do it that day, you have to do it at 9 a.m. on Friday because that's when the Sabbath starts for them in Israel on Saturday. So Friday at 9 a.m. in the morning, that's when you have to go to church. So they kind of mix it all up for the time zone. So if you talk to somebody that believes in that, just throw that monkey wrench into the theology. You know? But it doesn't matter because as new believers, every day belongs to God, not just the Sabbath. The Sabbath was easier to do back then than every day. Every day we're supposed to keep holy. And every day we are the temple of God. And every day we are supposed to worship God with this temple. And that means doing things for God. Doing them God the way God would want us to do. If you're working in a secular job, that means doing it the way God would be pleased with. 
give it everything you have to do that. Uh, the people in this community, actually throughout the world, should want to hire Christians because they're supposed to be the best workers. They're not going to cheat you out of hours. They're going to do their job. You don't have to sit on them and babysit them. That's what a Christian should do. But unfortunately, um, we don't have a lot of that in this day and age because now it's hard to tell you're a Christian. Man, I've known you for 20 years, and I didn't know you was a Christian because there's nothing about you that reminds me about being a Christian. <laughs> and that should never be said about anybody in this congregation. If you're claiming to be a Christian, your life should be a testimony to that fact. And uh, there's all kinds of ways you don't have to beat people over the, bi- over the head with the Bible to convince them that I'm a Christian. Because the Bible says to be a witness, not witness, not testifying unless you're asked. Because in a witness in a court setting, they're asked questions and then you answer them. Your life will testify if you're a believer or not. So, but anyway, the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles is the last feast and it lasted eight days. Now, Ezra kind of reset it, set it up again in the time because you remember they went into bondage in Babylon and they had this temple that happened, that Solomon's temple, we all know about that, it was about, what, 950 B.C. or something. And then Ezra and Nehemiah came and they built. Ezra, if you get those two confused, Ezra's the one that did the built the temple, rebuilt the temple, and Nehemiah's the one that built the walls. That's kind of, but it's kind of in the same time frame that's going on. And this is 500 years after the temple was destroyed that they'd come back and started to building it. In Nehemiah 8, 13 and 18, Okay, to this, on the second day, the heads of the fathers, households of all the people, the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, and they might gain insight into the words of the law. Now, I think this is kind of interesting, because here they are 500 years after the temple, and they didn't really know what the Bible said. How many generations is that? Quite a few, isn't it? See, and that's a problem that we have in America. We forgot the law. We forgot the Bible. We've thrown it out of everything. And so that's where they were at. And they, but they found, in verse 14, they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hills and bring other olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle trees and palm branches and branches of the leaf, other leafy trees to make booth, booths as it is written. Next slide. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each of his own roof. And he sat in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the squares of the water gate and in the square of the gate of the Ephraim. The entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. For the sons had, had indeed not done so far in the days of Joshua, since the jo- days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. Now that's kind of scary, in the days of Josh, Joshua. I mean, it was just one generation, and they quit doing it. It's amazing to me when I read some of this stuff. But I still don't think, you know, what would I have done? I'd like to think that I would have been the one that obeyed God, wouldn't you? i like to think that I would have done it differently. But I don't know. I guess God knew that, knew what? That's why I'm, na- I'm here now. Anyway, uh, the entire assembly of those days had returned from the captivity, made booths, and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so since the time of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. And there was a great rejoicing. He read from the book of the law of God daily from the first day to the last. And they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinances. Now, this was a big deal in this time. I mean, they, they forgot about it. They didn't do it, even though God commanded them to do it. They, 
had forgotten all about it, so it's not a big deal. But actually it was, it's kind of like us celebrating the 4th of July. And I don't mean the way we celebrate it today. I meant the way when you, we first became a nation and all the stuff going on. And, and it's been an exciting time. And then every year we, come, we celebrate the 4th of July. We have parades and we have fireworks and fun. So it's a holiday that we celebrate. So this is kind of it, only a carry it a step further. They would uh, be required to go out and live in a booth, a tabernacle booth or a thing. In other words, they just threw some limbs up on a lean-to type thing, and that's where they stayed for the eight days. Sound like fun? I don't think so. <laughs> it's not, wouldn't be fun for me. Of course, it's a, uh, over there, it's a different environment than it is here. The weather's a little nicer over there in the wintertime than it is for us. But anyway, uh, but it was a big deal to them. Colossians 2, 16 to 17. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to the festival, festival or new moon or Sabbath day, things which are mere shadows of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, I know a lot of people have a thing, oh, see, that verse says we're not supposed to celebrate holidays. We don't have to do that. And the, the world, especially the religious holidays, they want to do away with, don't they? They're doing everything they can to do away with the holidays. Uh, we have Christmas. But what's Christmas about now? Most of the big holidays that we have have religious overtones. And every holiday we celebrate in America was basically had religious overtones. But see, what happens in our world that we live in is that there's a group of people that think that uh, we shouldn't celebrate these holidays because they don't want to. See, if, we don't, if I don't want to celebrate a holiday or if I don't want to do something, I don't have to. That's my prerogative. I'm free not to. But their thinking is, well, if I don't want to celebrate it, then you can't. So I'm going to fight you and do away with the holiday. Isn't that the world we live in? And a lot of times it's the religious holidays that they want to do away with. Now, every day is basically a holiday to God. We're consecrated to God. We don't have to take a break out. But it is nice, let's say we have communion once a month that kind of gives us a break and gets us back to our roots. Once a month we remember that. Of course, we should remember it every day. But they remembered this as were the time when they came out of the wilderness in Egypt when they been in bondage for 400 years. That's what was a big deal to them in order to celebrate this thing. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles is called the Feast of Booths or Sukkah and uh, whatever, but I like Feast of Tabernacles. It sounds a little better, better for us Americans. Now, but it's also a feast of produce, presence, and provision. Now, religion was just a... Originally, it was just a, a feast of the fall harvest. That was the reason, original reason that they celebrated it, because the fall is a big deal, and it is to us, because we can get real tomatoes once in a while to taste good. <laughs> you know, at the fall of the year, you know, you get corn on the cob and fresh, all this stuff that's fresh, because it happens, they pick it at this time of the year, in the fall, and that's when it's the best. And so they celebrated the fall festivals, and they had parties. I mean, they didn't have parties like we call parties, they celebrated, they got together. And of course, every time you got together, there's food involved. I like the holidays that have food involved, don't you? That's why we have pop, pop bless. It's a celebration of friendship and fellowship amongst the, here. Uh, every, once a month we do that. Not because I like to cook spaghetti for all of you. <laughs> said, do you cook much anymore? I said, no, I cook once a month, and that's enough to last me a month. No, I, that's not a big deal. Actually, Randy cooks it. I fix the sauce, and he cooks it because he's, he's got to be back and do all the hard stuff, you know. But uh, it's a time of food and fellowship and having fun. 
And I remember when I was growing up, we had uh, family reunions. Did you ever go to family reunions? When I was a kid, they were a lot of fun. I used to love to go to them, get to meet our cousins and play and all kinds of stuff that we had. But, you know, as I got older, you know, kind of just people don't do that really a lot anymore. And I don't really care because my family is here. <laughs> Most of my family aren't Christians. And I go and I see them, I visit with them, but it's harder to visit with them because we don't have that camaraderie we have as a, as a body of believers. Isn't that true? Uh, anyway, that's just me. Maybe I'm just a snob and need to pray for me. I don't know. But there are four types of plants that we use in the celebration. I'll look at them later. But in, as believers, we're looking at, at the latter rain because they had to have winter rain or latter rain in, in the fall time. Otherwise, they couldn't have, even plant or have a harvest in the spring. We, we forget that in order to have crops the next year, it has to be watered now. The ground has to be prepared in advance. So they're preparing it in advance, and they want that rain to be able to prepare the ground. So they're praying and asking God about those things. So uh, it, was a, it was a big deal, and we want that here. We're praying. What are we praying for? We're praying for latter rain. And I do believe we're going to have a revival, a big revival, because it hasn't happened. It's talked about in the Bible that we're going to have a great outpouring, and we're going to have uh, things like that that's going to happen. So I'm looking forward to that. That's why we're praying. We pray every Sunday night because of that. We want that latter rain. And God brings harvest after storms. Without rain, you cannot have a crop. And if, if things are happening in your life and you've got storms in your life, well, there's growth. That's what you, we, now I hate it. I hate problems. I hate going through things, but that's the way we grow. And God knows that. We hate it, but they do. Uh, Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robe, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation is our, to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Now, John's describing a multitude of people. And now these are what he's talking about is tribulation saints. Now, I don't know what, you, what your belief system is as far as uh, end times goes, but the Bible says there's going to be a tribulation. And the tribulation isn't for the believers. It's for the Jewish nation. If you weren't here when I talked about that last week, you need to get the, or the week before, whenever it was, get the CD and listen to it. I don't want to re-preach that sermon, but it isn't for the church. God's going to protect us days out before, before that happens, but it's for his Jewish people. It's for the Jewish people to turn back to God during that period of time. We are in the church age, the age of grace. That's where we're at, and then God is going to, again, turn back to his people, and they're going to start worshiping God the way that they should. But during the tribulation is the thing that's going to cause them to start looking at what's going on. Because just like we're just talked about, after 9-11, the churches were packed. I mean, you couldn't hardly get a seat in the church because people, oh man, all hell's breaking loose on, our, on here. What am I going to do? And so they come, in to, they come into the church. But oh, well, I guess it wasn't that bad. It just happened in New York. It ain't going to happen here. I don't have to worry about it. So they forgot about it. But there might have been, there are probably some that actually stuck it out and, and started serving God at that point. Because tragedy and trials usually will bring us to our knees, doesn't it? Especially if you have any background of church or anything like that. It's going to bring you to your knees. So if you want to know why we have problems, that's why. 
And I sit there and we look at what's going on in the world with everything, you know, the Ebola virus and we have AIDS and we have a new uh, respiratory uh, virus that they brought up from the, the kids from South America and all this stuff we're fighting. I'm going, man, this sounds just like revelation to me <laughs> because all this stuff's going on. And if we sit there and we look at the world and not trusted God, man, I'll tell you, it'd be enough to drive you to drink. No wonder people drink. No wonder they do drugs. Because this world is a mess. And without God, you have no hope. And people that don't have any hope, they respond in a, in a way that they, the only way they know. And that's drinking or doing things, trying to fill their life with things so they don't think about it. But as believers, we don't have to worry about that. But this group that John sees, they're the ones that came out of the tribulation. And during those, it's going to, you know, we have a, a, the, the Muslim extremists over there that cut people's heads off. I mean, just, what is it, last week? A guy in Oklahoma cut some woman's head off? I'm going, what in the world, world do we live in? Did you ever think in your lifetime something like that could happen? I never did. And yet it's, it's alive and very prosperous in this world. And it's getting closer to us than what we, what we want to. But during the tribulation, it's going to be worse for the Jewish people and for believers. Those that get saved after the rapture of the church, then they're, they're going to be a great revival at that time. But if in order to serve God then, it's going to be a lot harder. It's going to be a lot harder to serve God. And, uh, but this group is there, and they're praising God, and they refuse to take the mark. They refuse to bow to the Antichrist. And the nice thing about it, if you come here and you don't make the rapture, you'll know, because I've talked about all this stuff. Don't be lost. You see, you know, you got seven years. Count it. <laughs> and the three and a half years will be good. But three and a half years won't. So plan on it, whatever. But I hope that nobody here will have to go through that. Revelation 7, 15 through 17. I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. Just in case you didn't think I knew, that's who it was. There it is. These are the ones that came out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb is in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of water of life, and God will wipe away tears from their eyes. Man, I look forward to that day when we get the tears wiped away. We have no more problems, no more situations. And I've told you many times, there's a lot of things that go on in this world that I don't like. But the thing that I will be most grateful for is when I get to heaven is that I won't have these thoughts that I have. I won't have to fight all this stuff that's going through my mind 90 miles an hour, distracting you, thinks, and you sit there and you wonder, where in the world did that come from? Well, probably 40 years ago you probably saw it, and all of a sudden it's coming through your mind just like a little projector. I hate that. I hate those things that go through your mind. That's the one thing I'm really looking forward to is not having those thoughts, not having any bad thoughts at all. And we all have bad thoughts. We don't plan on all of a sudden it's there. It's what we do with those thoughts that matters, though, right? If you dwell on them, then it become, can become a sin. But if it just comes from our mind, get it out of there, wipe it away, and go get someone, something else. So, <clears throat> but God will have a harvest during this great tribulation. It's going to be trials that, that people are going to have. And like I said, it's designed for Israel. I don't know what's going to happen in America. Because basically, we've got to remember that the, the Bible is written basically with a Jewish slant. So we're looking at 
what's going on in Israel. That's how we know uh, about prophecy, is what's going on in Israel. What's happening? Does it, how does it fit into the Bible? Because that's what, that's what it deals with. That's how we know we're in the latter days, is because of the signs that are going on always. Acts 2, 17 and 18. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see, see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. See, we're praying for that to happen, and it's in there. The day of Pentecost happened. That was the initial outpouring, but there's going to be a latter rain. Now, I don't know whether it's going to be in my lifetime, after I die. I don't know. All I know is I believe this book. I may not understand everything that's in it, and I read it through every year or try to. So I've read it and read it and read it. But I believe everything that's in there, even if I don't understand it. Because I didn't have to understand it, but if I want to understand it and I ask and I pray, God, pray to God about it, I keep praying because sometimes we really don't want to know. <laughs> There's a lot of things we really don't want to know, right? Because once we know it, we're, we're obligated to uh, obey it, right? Maybe that's why people don't like to read God's word. They don't like to be told the things that they're doing. But anyway, Tabernacles is not only a feast of produce, it's a feast of his presence. Now, it's a feast that looks back to the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness. And they didn't have no, they didn't build homes until the end of the promised land. So for 40 years they traveled. And I don't know how long they could be a month in one place and then they moved to another. And they lived in, I don't know what they were, they moved tents or probably the same thing that, that they do at Tabernacles. Just get some branches and stuff like that and just make a place or a shelter. But actually they didn't need a lot of shelter because remember they had the cloud by day and the fire by night. So they were protected. They didn't have all the stuff, uh, weather issues that we have today. Because God was there, his presence was there, and it was something that would be something to see, wouldn't it? And they depended on God for everything. Everything they depended on God for, their food, their water, everything. They was dependent on God. God even saw to it that the sho their shoes didn't wear out or their clothes. Now, if you've ever had any kids, that's quite a deal. How many of you, you got little kids, you have to replace their shoes about, what, every three months, if you're lucky? So their shoes never wore out. They outgrew them, of course, to the kids. But it was a different environment that they lived in, and God lived among them, and he tabernacled with them. And this is what they're celebrating. They're celebrating that time when God's presence was very real to them, and they lost it. And uh, so, But they're celebrating, and they're looking, looking to it. Now, someone that was born after they crossed the Red Sea, they grew up with this. They grew up with the cloud by day and the fire by night. They thought that's just the way life was. And they just walked and, you know, seen the presence of God and grew up in it, and it wasn't a big deal. But to us, it would be a big deal if we saw that, wouldn't it? Wow, what a great time for the people to actually see the presence of God. Well, we can feel the presence of God and sense it if we want to. God's here this morning in his Holy Spirit walking these aisles. And if you can't sense him, it's because your radio's turned to the wrong channel. It's turned to what I'm having for lunch today. It's Nedris, am I going to Nedris today? I say, mm -hmm. oh, what did it say? Because we've got to be tuned in to what God wants us to do. And if we're not, then we don't hear anything. We go home the same way we left. We, we, we leave the same way we came because we don't expect anything. We put in our time. I went to church this week. I'm doing good. Good thing we're not, alarms aren't longer. Man, none of these, none of these muscles would ever get flabby. Going like this. Because that's what we're inclined to do, isn't it? Everything, well, oh, I did my duty now. I go do what I want. 
But our great-granddaughter was raised with cell phones and iPads. So, hey, this is not a big deal. This has always had this stuff, this technology. If you have a problem with te technology, ask a seven-year-old <laughs> to help you, right? Because I'm going, you know, she's on this iPad doing all kinds of stuff, and oh, can't do it this way, Grandma. Can't do it this way. <laughs> because, hey, they're raised with it. And they expect it. But see, the children of Israel lived in God's presence for 40 years and took it for granted. They just, oh, just expected it, and they mumbled and grumbled and whatever for the whole time. So I don't understand it. I'd like to think that I would have been the one that wouldn't have been the grumbler, but I don't know. I like to complain a lot, so I probably would have been. Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now, salvation comes from blood, the blood of the Lamb. You can't be saved unless you accept Christ's sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That's what the Bible says. So until we accept Christ as our personal Savior and his death on the cross, dying in our place, we can't be saved. So, but the presence of God brings us refreshing. When you walk in the presence of God, you don't get as tired and stuff as you, as you do normally. So I, we sit there and we were talking a little bit in Sunday school this morning about, you know, since we started that building, all the things that's been happening and going on and stuff like that because there's an oppression. The world that isn't Christian doesn't want that building up. They don't. They don't want anything about God to prosper. They don't want the congregation to grow. They don't want people to get saved because the devil hates God, let's face it. And so when we do that, it's, it's, a, it's a testimony that, hey, God's not dead. He's alive, isn't he? And uh, he's alive, and he's gonna ha his will's going to be done in this area, and I hope I'm alive to see it. When the, when the sheep, bringing in the sheaves, when God starts bringing the people in, not because of me, not because of anything else, but because of God. I tell people all the time, I can't save anybody, neither can you. All we can do is be vessels. To, to when people ask questions, answer the questions. And live a good life. What, the best testimony that we can have to the world is when all this stuff's going on, I'm not worried and I'm not afraid. And they wonder, what's the matter with you? You're something wrong with you. No, there isn't. I have the peace of God living in my heart. I don't need to worry about all this stuff going on because he's going to work it out. But uh, the refreshing comes from the presence of God. And I know that if, if we ever take time on a daily basis to read his word and just talk to God and just... Just sense the presence of God. Doesn't matter whether it's two minutes, five minutes, whatever it is. Once you sense that presence, it's amazing how much better you feel. It's like a person that's starving to death, finally getting some food. They start feeling refreshed. But that's what the presence of God does for people. So when you come to church, the presence of God's here. If you can't feel it, it's because you're on the wrong channel. The presence of God lives in you. Not only in, with us, he lives in us. So... We should always be refreshed. And when we're not refreshed, it's because we're struggling in the wrong way. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I assume, yeah. I'll, I don't know, I'm going to write it down, cut that off. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? See, when we become a believer, our bodies don't belong to us anymore. They belong to God. That's where, that, that's where that Chinese proverb come from. If you, somebody saves your life, your life belongs to them. Well, if Christ saves our life, our life belongs to him. We're not our own. We were bought with a price. 
And we need to realize that. And uh, when we start doing things our way, we're going to have problems. Because I don't know the right way all the time. I mean, there could be a hundred things sitting there, and one be bad, and I would pick up the bad one. It seems like that's what it is. Shell's up and get it, had a new stove delivered, and this new stove was bad. So they got to get him another one. Brand new stove. And they sit there and we wonder, what's going on? I tell him, told uh, Jess, I says, what's your name? Who are you related to? <laughs> oh, I forgot. <laughs> because there's just something, you know, about the things that are going on. The, the world's trying to get us, trying to beat us down, trying to get us distracted. But we aren't going to get distracted because we belong to God. And if you belong to God and want to do things God's way, it works out one way or the other. The eighth day of tabernacles is called the Shinit Azadeth, or something like that. I was going to put it up there so I could see you could read it, but which literally means an extra day in the presence of the Lord. Now today, rabbis teach that the eighth day is a plea from God to his people to stay one more day in my presence, in my home. I do not want you to leave. You know, we don't realize that God wants to be with us. I mean, just think about that in your own little mind. You know, we have a lot of people love name droppers. Oh, I was talking to General so-and-so, or I was talking to such-and-such. Well, I was talking to God. I mean, that's as far up as you can get. (laughs) But he wants to dwell with us. He wants to tabernacle with us. Now, that, (laughs) that should blow your mind. That God, as big and mighty and powerful as he is, wants to be in my presence. Wow. That's a not that man, that's a shouting, that's shouting words. But he does, and that's why Jesus came and died. Yeah, to pay for our sins, but so we could dwell in his presence, so we could be with him throughout eternity. He loves us, and he wants to spend time with us. Wow. That's kind of exciting. Revelation 21, 1 to 5. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the saying, from the throne saying, Behold, behold the tabernacle, where the habitation of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Next slide. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. God wants to dwell with us. He wants to pitch his tent with us. I'm not kidding you. If you ever get a hold of that, it'll, it'll make you start, start walking like this and go, I'm a child of the king. I am a prince. I'm a princess. I don't like that one. I'm a prince. I like that better. I don't but being a princess doesn't really sound that, that appealing to me, but but uh, he wants to be with us. Now tabernacles is not only a feast of produce in his presence, it's a feast of his provision. Now the Jewish people would use four plants in the feast that represent the whole person. Leviticus twenty three forty. Now, on the first day, you shall take for yourself the following beautiful trees, palm branches and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Uh, Next slide. Now, this is a citron tree, 
and it has a heart-shaped fruit that represents the heart of a person. I don't know whether you can see that or not. It looks like an elongated orange to me when I was looking at it, because I never knew what it was. I had to look it up and find it. And that's what that looked like. And I guess to a certain degree, it does look, look like a heart, the heart of a person. Uh, the palm branch looks like the spine, representing courage, confidence, and strength. We all, we're kind of familiar with palm branches. We, well, palm, palm Sunday, sometimes we get them, and we utilize them. Next slide. The myrtle represents the eye and how they to see how to where to see the best in people and not envy. Now that to me, I, I said I don't understand how they get these things and, and relate those things to them. But I don't know how people can look at the stars and say that's an archer or that's a twin and all these other kind of things. I'm going, where in the world do you see that? I have trouble with the Big Dipper, <laughs> you know. And they're saying that's the ram and that's this and that's that. And I'm going, and they put the lines on it. You can see it. But I'm going, man, how do you see that in there? I don't see that. The sky doesn't have the connected dots. And so this is kind of, to them, they understood it, but I didn't. The willow, now I'm a little more familiar with, with the willow. We have willows around here. We have desert willows, and we have the gold willow, willows and things. But it represents the mouth and cleanliness of speech. And I'm going, how in the world would that relate to that? But I realized that the willow tree is probably what they used to sweep with. I'm guessing before they made brooms or something. I have no idea. And what they used to hide your tracks. You know, you watch a Western? Get a hide your tracks. <laughs> But anyway, those are the four different things that they utilized. Uh, next slide. And they enter the temple waving these branches, singing, Brock Habash Adonai. I know Adonai is the Lord. Hosanna. See? Hosanna. Every time you say Hosanna, you're speaking Hebrew or Greek because that's the word. Hallelujah is the same word in every language. Did you know that? I can speak any language. Hallelujah. That's Chinese, that's Greek, that's everything, because it's a recognized word in every language. And blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, save us now. They're saying, we've seen what you've done with the crops, do the same thing with us. That, that's what we need to pray. Lord, we've seen the, the produce that you've provided, of course, even if, even if it don't taste as good as whatever, we see that things are growing. Now, if you're growing a garden, it's a great thing if you can grow something. I gave up growing stuff. Uh, you know, they say, I, had, I don't have a green thumb, I have a black thumb. thumb. It means death. The plants, when I get them at the store, say, oh, please don't take me home, I don't want to die. <laughs> and I decided that the four different years I tried to grow uh, tomatoes, I paid probably $30, $40 a pound for them because I never really got anything out of them. So I gave up. When we look at the produce, we realize that God is marvelous the way he's designed things and the way that he takes care of us. It's just amazing to, uh, the things that he's done for us. Now, everything we have is because God gave it to us. That's right. Amen. Teach them young. All right, I'll turn to Pentecostal out of these kids real fast. Get them right. <laughs> but everything we have, God gave us. You don't believe that? Just think about everything that you have. They say, count your blessings, name them one by one. See what God has done. See, the problem that we have with people is we're ungrateful. We are so ungrateful for what we have. And we're raising a generation to now that is the same way, an entitlement generation. And they're worse than my kids' generation. Amen. <laughs> because it's an entitlement. It is a privilege for you to give me money. It is a privilege for you to buy me clothes and shoes. And they turn their nose up at what, what you feed them. 
I don't like that. Ew, that looks icky. Our, our kids tried that. Our, my kids growing up, they realized because the worse it looked, the better it tasted. They go, I ain't going to eat that. I didn't make my kids eat stuff. <laughs> but I did make them taste everything. If you can get them to taste it, then they'll say, oh, wow, that's all right, that's all right, that's okay. But see, God said, taste me, taste and see. Because when you taste God, it's going to, it's going to, you want him. So, and that's kind of the, you know, the thing. So everything we have, God gave us. If you have a job, God gave it to you. We've had a lot of people lose their jobs in this congregation, but God has provided, hasn't he? If you don't want a job, don't ask us to pray for it. Because God answers prayer. Because we know that's God's will for people to work, isn't it? So we know we need to do that. So we're praying according to God's will, and uh, so we know that God's going to hear us, right? So everything we have is because God gave us. Now camping, especially tent camping, is a lot of work. I don't know if you've ever went in a tent. We did that one time. One year we brought our property up by Duchesne. We went and we had tents, two tents that we had, and it rained the whole weekend. And that was the weekend that Sheldon fell off the cliff. So it wasn't a good memory anyway. But tents, I mean, they're nice. They're nice to have a tent when it's raining, and I don't think I'd like the lean-tos they were making then. But you know that if you live and use a tent a lot, it's going to wear out, isn't it? They're not designed to last forever. Sooner or later, they're going to wear out. I know the older ones last longer than the newer ones because they want you to buy a new one, don't they? We don't have a lot of things that's built like it was years ago. Cars aren't built as well. You, how do I know that? Slam the door of a new car and come over to our house and slam the door of that 51 Merc we have. How much like slamming the door in a tank? <laughs> because they're not made as solid. That's the reality of it. We've got th- that kind of stuff. But our bodies, Paul tell, it was a tent maker, so he compared our bodies to a tent in for 2 Corinthians 5. One through six. Oh, one through three, then we'll go to six. Okay. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body, made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. We're going to have a body. We won't have spirits without bodies, and we're going to have a body like Jesus had. What kind of body did Jesus have? Flesh and bone. No blood. Flesh and bone. Say, so how God's going to do that? I don't know. He can do anything. It's up to him, right? Verse 4, next slide. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. Oh, man, do I groan and sigh. Sound like snap, crackle, and pop when I get up. You know, go to a library. If I go to the library and you have to be quiet, I can't get up. I have to sit there until everybody's gone. Because you get up and make a lot of noise. <laughs> but, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared for us and a, as, and a guarantee he has given us his Holy Spirit so we, will always, we are always confident even though we know that we long that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with, with the Lord. These bodies we live in are temporary. Hallelujah. Amen. If you've ever had anything, if you haven't, you'll get old one day if the Lord, Lord tarries. When you get my age, you're going to find out, you're going to wake up one morning, and all of a sudden, man, oh, where'd that come from? Ah, 
and I tell you everything you ever heard when you thought you was a kid playing Superman. One day when you're 50 years old, you're going to get up and you go, oh, man, oh, what happened? Well, it's when we thought we were invincible and we did all this dumb stuff. I watch people on TV that do this stuff on the bikes and stuff. I'm going, man, oh, I don't even want to watch. I was watching a football game yesterday, and they tackled that one guy and, oh, broke his leg. Oh, man, it just ugh, gave me shivers. Just gross. But these bodies are temporary. And I'm so anxious to get rid of this body and get a perfect body. Won't that be nice? Whatever size is perfect, I'm going to be it. Whether it's a size 4 or 3 or 2 or 20, I don't care. I don't care what it is. It'll be perfect. And, yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be a great day, isn't it? Something to look forward to. And Paul related to that because these bodies are just temporary. We're not going to spend eternity in these bodies, and I'm glad, because it would not be heaven if I had to go through it in this body. I hope, I'd have to hope that God saved some doctors so you could go to them in heaven. <laughs> but there aren't going to be any because we'll all be well, we'll be perfect. And what am I going to look like perfect? Well, I don't know. Well, how do I look now? No. <laughs> so, so right, I said this body's wore out, it's wearing out, and uh, eventually, if the Lord tarries, I'm going to die, and this tent will be gone, but God will raise me up one day and give me a glorified body, and that's a great time. Hallelujah, it's going to be exciting, won't it? Like I said, that's enough to make you excited, really, when you think about that aspect, especially if you've got something that hurts. When you've got something that hurts, this, it means more to you. If you're young and feel like you're invulnerable and, and nothing's ever happened to you and you don't know what pain is, you won't appreciate it like us older people do. So, but during this time, Israelites lived in the wilderness. They lived in tents. They lived in just make two sh shelters that they had. And it wasn't until they reached the promised land that they built a house. So they were just a temporary. And that's where we're at. We're in the wilderness right now. But one day we're going to have a home, and the home's going to be at Jesus. And he's making it right now. Like I said, I know I don't, have, I don't really have a mansion or a room. I know I told you this a couple weeks ago that the custom in there when a son got married, they added a room to the father's house. Now, how would you like that for a mother-in-law, guys? <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm glad we have it the way we do now. But we're in heaven, we'll be perfect, so it won't matter. But whatever he's doing, he's preparing a place for me. And he's preparing a place for you individually. And every time somebody gets saved, he gets a new room. And uh, so if you want to go to heaven sooner, do more witnessing. Because sooner or later, that last person is going to accept Christ as their Savior. A missionary who spent his life on a mission field was returning home on an ocean liner. As they arrived into port, they heard marching bands, saw crowds gathered, and dignitaries were there. He thought, wow, what a welcome. But then he realized all the fanfare was for someone else. He turned to his wife and said, I've spent my life on the mission field in places most people wouldn't even go, preaching God's word. I'm old, I'm tired, and I'm spent, and I come home, and no one even notices. His wife said, honey, you're not home yet. You know, that puts everything in perspective, doesn't it? No matter what you're going through here, you're not home yet. We're just passing through. I'm an illegal alien here. Because <laughs> my citizenship is in heaven. 
And I love the idea knowing, not the idea, I love knowing that one day I'm going to be able to be there. And that's exciting for me. I'm not home. So whatever you're going through, it's going to be past one day. And the Bible says, and it came to pass. It didn't come to stay, it came to pass. So if you're going through something this morning, it's going to pass one day. If you learn the lessons you need to learn from it, you can move on. I hate it because I tell God, I said, man, I, I want to learn my lessons fast. Give me the instant, give me the fast food version of this trial. But sometimes they're long drawn out things, aren't they? Sometimes we struggle with sickness for a long time. And I don't understand, I don't have the answers. All I know is God does. And all we're required to do is trust God and he works everything else out. It doesn't matter. So today someone needs fresh rain to fall. Someone needs to encounter the presence of God. Someone needs to thank God for what he's given. Someone needs to give their life to Christ. Someone here needs something from God. The Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled, the rapture, and the ten days after the rapture will be represented by the tribulation. The Day of Atonement represents Christ's second coming to set up his kingdom, and the millennium represents the Feast of Tabernacles where God will dwell on earth with man forever. There's a thousand-year kingdom coming when there will be no lawlessness. There'll be none of this stuff that's going on in the world because God will take care of it. And for a thousand years, people are going to live long lives. If a kid, someone dies at 200, it says they'll be considered a child. And they must have really been bad. <laughs> but that's the world that what's going to happen. And I know we look at the world today and say, well, that can't happen. Well, those things can change just like that. Our lives can change just like that. But when we trust God and believe he's going to let it happen, he will. Whether you like it or not or believe it or not, it's going to happen. I'm so glad that God's word isn't dependent on me believing it. Aren't you? It doesn't matter. There's a whole world out there that don't believe God. And I know there's a whole world out there fighting against God. There was a little thing on Facebook of somebody put up a little kid with a note that reads, Why, atheist, why does it bother you so much if my... I pray to my God when you don't believe he exists. Why does it bother them? It shouldn't. But it does, because they want to intimidate us. They want to get God out of our life. And that ain't ever going to happen in my life, no matter what they do. Take your best shot. Amen? Feast of Tabernacles reminds us of a day that's going to happen. A day when he's going to set up his kingdom, and we get to rule and reign with him as believers for a thousand years, and we will never die. I think, I look at that now, I don't prospect never dying in this body? No, thank you. My new body? Yeah, okay. Let's pray. I pray for heaven.